you would turn to Genesis chapter 37. Let's pick up at verse 12. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said, Here I am. And he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. And you know what happens there, how they throw him into the pit, desire to murder him, sell him into slavery, and he ends up in Egypt. Let me read from Genesis 45 now. Verse 4, where the brothers now come to Joseph, and Joseph is second in power in Egypt. Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for you and many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, the Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. Turn back to the chapter 37. Well, it was 3 a.m. I was seven years old. And I was terrified. I had woken up, and in the darkness, I saw a shadowy figure that was leaning over my bed. I pretended to be sleeping, tried to slow my breathing, and I squinted my eyes and tried to see through the slits. I could tell it was very close, and then it was gone. I concluded at that young age that it was an angel. And it was soon after that that I began to get sick. Every night, mom would take off my shoes and gently peel off my socks that would be soaked in blood. And it was a sickness that would stay with me all my life. At first, it was awful. 
but it's been many years since I've come to see that it was good for me. That God used it to mold me and refine me and change me, even to this day. And I've always wondered if that angel visit was linked to my getting sick. One link in a chain connected to the next link, connected to the next link. And in your own life, you wonder about the various links of your life because this happened, that happened, because that happened, these things happened. Most times we can't be sure what God is doing. We ask him, and God, let me understand. Give me wisdom. And as the hymn writer wrote, often what we say is God moves in mysterious ways. In all of your life, he moves in mysterious ways. In the life of Joseph, the account here in Genesis 37, recounts a very, very mysterious moment. Moses could have simply said, Joseph found his brothers in Dothan. But instead, we have this extended paragraph where Joseph is in a quandary. He's looking for his brothers. He can't find them. One ancient rabbinical scholar says this, the Torah does not waste its precious words on insignificant details. What he's saying is everything is important. We find Joseph here wandering in a field, verse 15. He's looking, he's hoping, he's hoping to find his brothers in their flock somewhere. This is where he expected them. He's looking for tracks. He's looking for some piece of Levi pants and some said a Reuben sandwich maybe somewhere left along the way. You see what I did there, didn't you? And there would be a rising sense of hopelessness. It's, it's the proverbial needle in the haystack. He's crisscrossing the fields. He's wandering. I mean, he's just going here and there and all over. And a rising sense of futility. He can't complete the charge his father gave to him. He's going to have to go back home and tell him, like, I, I couldn't find them. I'm sure some of us, at this very moment of our life, on this day of our life, you're sort of wandering in a field right now, feeling a little hopeless, perhaps some sense of futility, some rising anxiety, that you're missing something and your options are few. Things aren't going well for you right now. And verse 15 says, and a man found him wandering in the fields. Uh, King James says a certain man found him. The word found here, matzo, means that it was very intentional that this man was looking for Joseph. It wasn't Joseph who was looking for the man. It's the other way around. The man found Joseph. He acquired Joseph. And a rhetorical question of sorts is asked, what are you seeking? We're supposed to understand this man is 
mysterious. Looking for Joseph, and Joseph communicates his search here. I'm seeking my brothers in verse 16. Tell me, please, where they are pastoring the flock. Why would this man know that? But he knows exactly what Joseph needs to hear. And he tells him, the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found that Dothan. That's a good 35 kilometers to the north of where he was. He would never have found them without this man. I mean, this man, no one knew Joseph was coming, and he just happens along. He just happens to find Joseph in the middle of nowhere in this field, and this man just happens to have the exact information that Joseph needs to find his brother. Moses, the writer, is leading us along to understand something significant, and that is ultimately nothing just happens. Do you know that's true for your own life? Nothing just happens. This is a divine appointment. The Midrash, uh, ancient Jewish um, interpretation of this passage, sees this as a divine appointment, a meeting that was arranged by God himself, and it will change the course of Joseph's life. And it will lead to the establishment of a nation not yet in existence all because of a man in a field. We call this activity of God his providence. Providence is simply put the, the active hand of God in all that is. That he's working in everything. He rules. He purposes. And he accomplishes. It's the unseen hand of God in everything that exists in creation and in history and in individual lives. It's the unseen fingerprints of God. I mean, he is powerful. He rules. He's sovereign. He has the power to do whatever he pleases. The scripture tells us this all over the place. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And he also purposes, he accomplishes, he, he makes his decrees. He declares his will. He determines what will be. Isaiah says, remember the form of things of old. I am God, there is no other. I am God, there's none like me. And now he defines why there's none like him, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. His purposes are his eternal decrees and his accomplishment of his purposes is typically done through providence. His unseen influence, the unseen hand of God. So God rules all things. He's sovereign. He's powerful. He decrees all things. His purposes are moving forward. And he accomplishes all things. He does the work necessary to bring about his will under his sovereign rule. We call that the providence of God. And that there is nothing outside his rule. Nothing outside his purpose. Nothing just happens. 
nothing. You're here this morning. You're not here because you always come here every Sunday morning. You're not here because you're just visiting here. You're not here because someone brought you or because you have to be here. You're here ultimately because God wanted you here this morning. That's the providence of God. That's his activity. Now, I wonder if Joseph, who would eventually end up in prison in Egypt, if he would look back on events and he would think this, he would think, if only I hadn't met that man in the field. If only that man hadn't told me my, where my brothers were. If only he had passed me by. If, if only. Then my brothers would not have conspired to kill me. They would not have thrown me into the pit. They would not have sold me into slavery with the passing caravan and into Egypt. And I would not have been a slave in Potiphar's house. And, and then I would not have been falsely accused and thrown into prison. If only. But for that man. From Joseph's prison perspective, things probably looked for him very awful. And that man in the field, I wish I had never met him. But I wonder if Joseph, who would become second ruler of all of Egypt, in the palace of Egypt, if he, as he waited for the arrival of his father, if he would look back on events then and say, Oh, but for that man, I would not have been in Egypt where my arrogance and my pettiness was refined away. But for that man, my brothers wouldn't have had 23 years of oppressive guilt to wear down their evil and bring them to repentance and humility. But for this man, I would not have risen in Pharaoh's house. But for this man, I wouldn't have been put in charge of all of the grain. And I wouldn't have been in a position to rescue many, and especially my own family. It's one thing to have a prison perspective. Things can look pretty awful. It's another thing to have that palace perspective, where you think, it's pretty incredible. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the man in the field. I'm so glad you sent him. For does he not say, Joseph, to his brothers, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant and to keep you alive with many survivors. It was not you who sent me here, it was God. And he made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of all his house. He says, God sent me. God purposes, God planned this. I see it now from the palace perspective. You see, nothing just happens. 
And when we say nothing just happens, we're, we're talking about the providence of God. That God is ruling, he is decreeing, and he is doing work in mysterious ways. You know, something that we should remove from our vocabulary as Christians who get this about God, we should never be talking about good luck or bad luck. That doesn't exist. We should get rid of any habit that we have of somebody saying good luck or whatever. Or saying, I'll take my chances. There's no chances. Even the word accidents. Hmm. We'll look at that in future weeks. Or saying, some, uh, some do it, saying, well, it's fate. No. No. Or it is what it is. No. No, it's not. We as Christians must not and cannot and do not look to the zodiac. We don't look to the movements of planets or stars to discern our days. We don't open fortune cookies and take them seriously. We don't read horoscopes, palm readers. We don't go to crystal ball people. We know the creator and we call him father and we are saved by his son, Jesus Christ. And all things are in his hands. And so we know of all people, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. If the Lord wills. Speaking of the outworking of the providence of God in our lives. Augustine said in the 300s, he said, nothing happens unless the omnipotent wills it to happen. He either permits it or he brings it about himself. And what he means is there's nothing small in your life, no small details, big things, little things that escape his attention or his activity. Nothing too great, nothing too small to beyond his power. There is a person behind everything. There is purpose. There is intention. There is a plan. And he's wise and he's loving. He's kind. And that means every person that you meet or encounter throughout your day, every broken arm or leg, every job you had, every job you lost, every flat tire you get, every heartbreak you endure, every betrayal you experience. The prison perspective might say, I, I wish that had never happened. But in time, the palace perspective says, thank you, Lord. I see what you were doing. I, I thank you for your grace and goodness, even in the suffering even in the trial and the grief. Thank you for working in ways that I couldn't see. And we know that for those who love God, all things work according to his purpose. 
And as followers of Jesus Christ, it's so comforting to know that he has the details of our life uh, in his hands, that we are never beyond his care, that we can trust him and keep our faith in him, and that he is never far off for us that he is able, he's not powerless, he's powerful and he's purposeful. He's not random or capricious. Something that's so inconsequential as a man in a field, you can see why so much, it, right, so much of the paragraph here in scripture now is given about him. It might well be that this man was God himself, a theophany. All of the previous patriarchs had been visited by God at some point. It could have been an appearance of, this, of the angel of the Lord, the, the Christ. The Jewish commentary, the Midrash, says the mysterious stranger in the field was an angel, a figure dispatched specifically by God Make, to make sure that Joseph got to his rendezvous, rendezvous with his brothers. Could have been a man that the Lord was divinely leading and divinely full of the Spirit. One link leads to another, doesn't it? Uh, if Joseph's family hadn't been rescued and given food to eat for five more years, well, then they would not have had all of the kids that they did. And if they didn't have all that kids and they were growing in size as a community, they would not have brought concern to the new Pharaoh and who put them in slavery and bondage as they cried out to the Lord. If, if that hadn't happened, then there would have been no need for a, a Moses, a redeemer of God's people, a prophet. There would have been no need for the Passover and the Exodus and the gathering of the community at Mount Sinai where they turned them, were turned by God into a nation with a law and were given uh, the right worship of God and taught about the tabernacle and the altar of God and the sacrifices that all lead all the way along, link by link, leading to, leading to Jesus Christ. And somewhere back here on that chain is a certain man found Joseph wandering in a field. I think of my own angel and what I believe how soon after I got sick God's purpose and how this led to me promising God that I would become a priest and how this led to my meeting Charlene and, and then how this led to university and having thoughts about death and mortality and eternity and, 
and how it, all of these thoughts led to being open to the gospel when I heard it and knowing I was a sinner who didn't deserve God's grace or goodness or heaven. As I put my faith in Jesus Christ and received forgiveness, and I was saved. And how Charlene and I, you know, eventually went to the seminary and not even knowing what a pastor was. And God kept my promise, even though I didn't understand anything. And he led us into ministry, one link at a time. And all of you have links. It's amazing what God does and how he does it. And sometimes we need the perspective of, of time to see and to understand and to appreciate it. Even if we don't fully understand it, we know that God's been moving. C.S. Lewis says Aslan was on the move. God's been working. I wonder where you are today. God has forged many links for you. And perhaps, and I know some of you are, in that prison place. You have heavy burdens and you're under, have many regrets. And you're wondering if God sees, if God hears, and if God cares, and does God answer your prayers? And why has this happened, God? And how could this happen? Oh, Lord, I wish this hadn't happened. If only. It could be a place of darkness like the pit or the prison of Joseph. Sadness and depression and grief. Yes, exhaustion. Because it's also very tiring, isn't it? To bear these burdens and go through them. To feel hopeless. God's working in a mysterious ways. He knows and he loves and he does care. Wait for him. Look to him. Never, ever stop praying to him what he has put on your heart. Don't stop. Even if you question the power of prayer, don't stop. Even if you don't know how to pray, just call out to him. He'll direct your steps. Keep, keep your faith in him. And in time, much time, sometimes eternal time, the palace perspective is gained. In Christ, we are royalty. And from the palace, we can see far and we can see, God, it was tough, but you're amazing. I see now, you are awesome in power and glory and you were working and I didn't even know it. And I see what you've done in my life. I see how you've refined me and sanctified me and changed me. And, and I give you thanks. And I give you praise for the thorn of my life. William Cowper, who wrote the song that we sang, God Works in Mysterious Ways. I mean, this fellow in the 1700s, he, he suffered his whole life with depression. 
grief and loss and attempted suicide a number of times, was eventually committed to an insane asylum. There, as God forged the links of his life, there, a doctor was so kind and caring back in the 1700s. And this doctor was a Christian who talked to him about the Bible and, and who shared the gospel with him. And he was converted to Christ. And when he got out of the insane asylum after a year and a half, one of the first persons he encountered was John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. And they became close friends. And John Newton asked him to write a hymn of his experience of suffering. And, and that's the hymn he wrote. And it's a favorite hymn of many Christians. Even to his, the day of his death, he still wrestled with grief and feelings of hopelessness and depression. But his faith was in God and his trust was in God. And that's why he writes, right? His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud might have a bitter taste. That's the prison perspective. But sweet will be the flower. That's the palace perspective. 